Well, we certainly have a Lenten task set out for us today. It's very clear that Abraham, through faith, took people on a long journey to find the promised land. He did it purely on faith. And Paul points out that faith and works are not necessarily at always working together themselves. Because faith stands as a commitment to God's call. Works are those kinds of things that we do that we think will help us move ourselves along the path of righteousness. We do good works, and if we follow the good examples of others, that somehow we will in fact embrace not only the faith, but the love of God. And Abraham simply embraced the fact that he loved God and God loved him to trust without any kind of works whatsoever. An interesting look at what in fact our lives are about today. And then we come to, uh, I think, the better part of my sermon. And I'm going to repeat myself because I know I've talked about it before here. But the passage on Nicodemus, I was, when I was in general seminary, I had an exegesis class in Johannine literature. And part of our task was that we were given a piece of scripture that we had to analyze, first from the Greek, and do our own translations to the best of our ability, using lexicons and so forth. And then we were to read various people who are biblical critics, about the same passage and how they perceived the word forms, how they flowed to one another, what the intention and hopefully the meaning was. And what we simply had to do is put out the Greek words, do an analysis, and then explain to the class through a paper what we believe to be the truth of this particular passage. One of my classmates had this uncanny knack of changing things in front of your eyes. Uh, he was known as sort of the class clown, actually fool, because he had this amazing ability. I mean, we had a fire drill once, and he was the fire, head of the fire drill, and he came running down from his dorm with a fireman's helmet, a raincoat from the fire gear, a chief hat, and boots that came up over his knees and he was tripping and nearly falling with a thing of smoke. He put it out in front during our fire drill and poured water on it. He says, okay, everybody back in your dorms. He had this way of changing the environment all the time. Well, he ran into a difficult situation when he changed the environment in our exegesis class. He submitted a paper, 32 pages, and I was shocked at number, the number of pages. If I could get to 14, I was happy to complete the, the process. He had a 32-page paper, and the title was Big Nick's Put Down, or, huh? The faculty member did not appreciate that his a sense of humor was added to the classroom exegesis of scripture and told him so in class in no glowing terms whatsoever. 
But then he got to do his paper. And it was interesting because he, what he did is the biblical critics, he listed as rabbi so-and-so and rabbi so-and-so, and he had a dialogue of all the rabbis that he had studied to come up with what does the passage on Nicodemus really have to say? What is the impact for us? The interesting part to me is that all of us, and to, to this day, I still remember that experience because he brought humor into the room of exegetical knowledge. And I was so struck that the faculty member was so enraged because somehow this was almost like a desecration. As I've grown and as I've learned and as I've studied, I'm finding that this point in my life was significant because it pointed out that even though I was in fear of my life to make sure I had accurately represented my passage to the class, and we had to do three over the course of the semester, that I was so worried and so concerned and so uptight about having to read it and defend it and everything else. But Bob had this whimsical way of portraying what in fact was a good critical critique. And I remembered it because it was so important for me to look at scriptures from a point of view, not of fear, but of faith. And trusting that the word had some power behind it. I felt like I learned a huge lesson. Now, all of us, when we think of Abraham, the father of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we refer to, Abraham followed, followed the word of God and led people through horrible situations and everything else to find the, quote, promised lamb. And the struggles and the turmoil and everything else, but it was always based on faith. It wasn't about works. It wasn't about doing the right thing. There is a part of the story that I want to get to <laughs> and about humor. As I began to grow and expand my faith and actually learn how to play with the litur liturgy and also with my scriptural understandings, as I got involved in clown work, I suddenly realized that there was a whole facet of humor that enlivened me, that opened me to the absurd and also the very serious. And there's a quote by Conrad Hires in the comic vision in Christian faith, where he says, and I, and I wanna make sure that you understand it, faith without laughter leads to self-righteousness and dogmatism. Laughter without faith leads to cynicism and despair. In my class, the person who brought humor's context struck a chord very invertly, very hard with a faculty member, and yet it opened for us a way of looking at the passage in a uniquely different way. And so I've really struggled over the years realizing that many times we get so caught up in our doing of works, we take them seriously, much like Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin. 
and he was an excellent student of the, the uh, law and understood all the terms of the law. And Jesus, when he says something about the spiritual aspect, he becomes confused because he's, his whole focus is around doing the right things and doing the right law. Not seeing the spiritual element that needed to be addressed in that. And Jesus, in a sense, if you look at the passage, Jesus is sort of teasing him along to open him up to understand more about the spirituality of life than the laws and the regulations. And I think it's so critical for us that it's easy for us today, particularly, to get caught up behind all of the, quote, legalisms or the laws of what should be right and what should be good and so forth. And what happens, and I found in myself, that I lose my sense of humor, that I can't look at things from an odd position and begin to laugh internally, which frees me up for the first time to look at myself internally with a sense of trust and a sense of openness and a sense of faith. And I think today, more than ever, we need to come to an understanding that somehow, as we devoid, make humor devoid in our lives, we do a huge disservice to our spirituality. If we, in fact, look to do things the way God intended them to do, it's with a sense of humor that we grasp our humility and our humbleness and our sense of our own ownership that I don't live up to what I would like to do. But it's through the faith that we're called to be in God's mercy and love that gives us without any kind of effort on our part the grace to be accepted in love. In a day like today, in our world that we're facing with all of the disease and concerns about what's going to happen next and what's going to happen politically, what's going to happen worldwide in terms of our military and the military concerns, it's so easy for us to become so depressed and so pushed down our ability to laugh at ourselves, which gives us the freedom to think and to be, and to breathe. One of the things also that I learned when I was clowning, there's been a lot of study about humor, and they find that a person who is, has the ability to have a, what they call a gut laugh, a real laugh, not something that's <laughs> but rather something that comes from within. It bubbles up, and it, it charges people with new oxygenation and a new sense of wholeness. This is done at Stanford University in the study of humor. And that they pointed out that people who could laugh actually became more whole. Cousins was in an incurable disease in a hospital. He decided he couldn't face it anymore. He checked out into a hotel. And he got all of the Three Stooge movies that he could find and all of the comedy movies and everything else. And he played them over and over and over. And he wrote about how laughter was his healing device. Laughter opened him up 
to dressing the pain that he felt, to opening himself up to being healed once again. So when we're studying in Lent and preparing ourselves to turn around, to drop our sinful ways, to make the turn, to come back to God, remember that it's seeing ourselves with a sense of humility through laughter that gives us a focus and an understanding to change. The one thing that I can never, ever avoid is the chortle of a young child. Their laughter speaks of God, lifts my heart, and it's like sharing in the divine. We need, as Christians this Lent, to find our humor place, and they're all different. They're never the same. But each one of us have our own points of humor and laughter and self-understanding. Open your heart and mind to be in that humor because, in fact, it will allow you to be substantive in your faith.